Well, all the uh, children are in here today, so I am going to be careful. I, you know, typically I'm a little careful with some of the stuff. I'm a little more free when they're not in here, so just uh, be aware of that. I'll be a little more careful in some of the stuff I'm saying in our message today for that very reason, because the kids are with us in our service, and we welcome you. We are glad uh, that you are here, and so, and praying that you'll do your very best to pay attention, to listen. Uh, you can get something from the message as well. So we are in Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, grab one of those blue ones. If you see one underneath the seats around you, Eric, you made it. All right, brother. He, he, yeah, he got locked out of his house this morning, but he was able to get here in time, so praise the Lord. Page 948 in those blue Bibles, in those blue Bibles, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. We started this sermon last week. We'll be in this section for a while. I'm just going to tell you that right now. And as I said last time, or in part one of this message, a code of conduct, a code of conduct is something that generally lays out uh, an organization's expectations and guiding principles for appropriate workplace behavior. You probably had to sign something like that or were given a particular code of conduct if you were employed or are employed with a particular company. Well, I, I say all that because I believe this section, and you can see it in the title, I believe this section of chapter 12 or verses 9 through 21 could be called a Christian code of conduct, a Christian code of conduct. It is basically a short series of exhortations or commands or rules concerning how Christians are to appropriately conduct themselves in this world. And... It has an emphasis on how we are to relate with both those inside and outside the church, just like a code of conduct often addresses those things. This is appropriate workplace behavior, interaction with coworkers, and this is appropriate workplace behavior with uh, your customers or people outside of the work uh, environment place. So it does all of that. Now, let's read the text, and then we'll just dive right in, okay? I'll do a little review, and then we'll dive right into where we left off. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Apostle Paul writes this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. 
For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's our text. That's the section we'll be looking at this week. We looked at a few weeks ago. We'll be looking at probably for a few more weeks. And I mentioned this last time as well. But as we move through this list of rules or principles concerning how we as Christians are to live as followers of Jesus Christ, you will no doubt be convicted on some points about your failure to keep them. However, don't despair. Don't despair, but rather confess your sin to God. This is just this is basic Christianity 101. Confess your sin to God. Ask for his help for you to live according to his word and to continually rely and trust in the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit to walk in obedience to the Lord. Additionally, if you are having success on some of these points, then you should give thanks and praise to Almighty God for the work that he has done up to this point in your life to transform you into the image of his glorious son, Jesus Christ. Okay? You with me? All right. Here's a brief review, and I mean brief. And you'll need to, if you weren't here a few weeks ago, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the full 50-minute or so message or however long I took. But I'm going to just briefly review the first two that I covered prior to this sermon. Let love be genuine. That's the first one in the text. Let love be genuine. The first principle, the first rule, the first exhortation, the first command for how we ought to conduct ourselves in this world as Christians. Let love be genuine, or more literally, that word genuine is without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. And this love to which Paul refers in verse 9, is agape love. It's agape love. That's the Greek term there. It is a love that could be defined biblically, this is all review, as a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. It's that love. It's biblical love. And Paul says that this love is to be genuine or without hypocrisy. So when we exercise genuine love for the church, we will not simply pretend to love one another by our words or by our actions, which we can do, we can be guilty of, but rather we will truly, unselfishly desire God's very best for one another and sacrificially and willingly give ourselves toward that very goal. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Second, abhor what is evil. Abhor what is evil means we are to, the word means hate exceedingly, literally. The Greek word there that they translated abhor in the ESV. Hate exceedingly all that is evil all that is evil, or everything that God detests. Everything God hates, we are to hate as his children. We are to regard evil, beloved, with horror, with horror, and avoid it like the plague. We are to loathe, not love, loathe everything that is the antithesis of Christ's 
likeness. Everything that's the opposite of what it is to be Christ-like, everything that moves us away from that, we are to detest. Not only in our own lives, beloved, should start there, but also because of love, I talked about this, in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Huh? So that, again, that doesn't mean like, oh, I'm, I'm the evil inspector. I'm looking for evil in your life so I can point it out to you so that I can show you how I'm superior to you because look at that evil in your life. No, that's not the idea at all. The idea out of love is you're seeking their greatest, their highest good. And what is that? Christ-likeness. Beloved, your brothers and sisters in Christ, their highest good, and this is so awesome. I'm going to tell you, the Holy Spirit is totally bringing this today on. He is. He is because Chris, Chris and I don't, we don't communicate. I don't ever communicate with the guys that are up here and doing their announcements and stuff. But very often, what he said today when he read out of that book, you watch how it fits right into the sermon, right in. It's amazing. But beloved, listen, our highest good is Christ-likeness. So if you see something in your brother's and sister's life, right, that is moving them away from Christ-likeness, it should, it's your duty, it's your duty, beloved, to speak to them in love, to encourage them, to come alongside them. Now, they don't always listen, and sometimes they don't always want that, but hopefully if they're thinking rightly, they'll embrace it. They will want it. They'll even seek it out. Because they're also pursuing Christ-likeness, and they know they can be blind to their own faults or problems, and they need the help of their brothers and sisters in Christ on this road to glory. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Three, hold fast to what is good. End of verse 9. Look back at the text. Hold fast to what is good. The words hold fast in the ESV, the English Standard Version that we use here, that you may have on your lap if you're using one of those blue Bibles, it translates a Greek verb that literally means to be glued, to be glued or joined or bound or stuck to something or someone, stuck. It is the same verb used in Matthew chapter 19, probably a familiar passage to many of you, verses 3 through 5, where Matthew writes, and Pharisees came up to him and tested him, that is Jesus, by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore... A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast, the same word, to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Be glued to his wife. Same idea. Join, stuck together. All right? Same word, same verb there. Just wanted to show you that. Many other Bible translations translate the Greek verb in Romans 12, 9 that's translated hold fast in the ESV. They translate it as cling, as cling. If you have an NIV and a New American Standard, a New King James in your lap, it's probably the word you see there, cling instead of hold fast, which is also a good translation because the word cling can be defined as holding on tightly, okay? You cling to something or adhering to something by sticking to it. 
by sticking to it. You know how your clothes sometimes cling together in the dryer and you have to put in that static thing or whatever it's called, and then they, they pull apart. Otherwise, the stocks, socks don't want to come apart. They're clinging together. That's the idea. They're stuck and they don't want to come apart, okay? So it's a good word. So listen. So then we could say this. this is, I'm just drawing your attention to the word because it's, it's good. It's a strong, powerful word. It's not like just, hey, hang out around what's good. No, cling to what's good. Hold fast to what's good. That's what I'm trying to get you to see there, the power of words and the particular words that the Holy Spirit uses to communicate his truth. We don't want to miss them. So then we can say this. As Christians, we have a responsibility to cling or hold fast to what is good or firmly grasp what is good and not let go of it, all right? Or even glue ourselves to what is good. Or fasten or bind ourselves with some strong adhesive to what is good. If you were here last week, Thomas made some interesting illustrations and stuff, so I'll use one of his. You know, you take the super glue, he used that last week. It was, if you were here, you'll remember, and I probably shouldn't have done that because then your mind goes back and now you're not with me anymore. But he, oh, you're like this, you know, this, it's all, you just pour it on, you know what I mean? You pour it all over, that super glue, and then you, you find what's good and you attach yourself to it and hold it for 10 seconds so it bonds, you know what I mean? <laughs> One writer says this concerning this passage, holding on tightly to that which is right or that which is good becomes a necessity, beloved, in view of our natural inclination to fall back into sin. Do you relate to that? Do you understand what the author's saying? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Additionally, and I, and I said this last time, this idea of abhorring what is evil and holding fast to what is good, they're really, these ideas go together. They go together. Because when you begin to become tolerant of what is evil, it'll be harder for you to hold fast to what is good. Hate what is evil. Hate it exceedingly. And cling to what is good. That's the idea. Now, I want to say two things about Paul's exhortation to us to hold fast to what is good. First, in order for us to truly know And to hold on to what is good, we will necessarily need to keep fighting against the sinful tendency of being conformed to this world in which we live. Or to say it another way, we must persistently refuse to allow this fallen world to squeeze us into its mold, as we learned in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And why, beloved? Why is that? Because this world rejects and mocks our Lord. And they are known to call evil good. And good, evil. It's actually a passage in the scriptures. You know that? Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. You can look it up later. They call evil good and good, evil. And this is where I was saying just this idea of what is good and what is truly good and and what Chris was talking about. 
you probably can think of examples, but I'll just give you a few just to get you thinking. Drunkenness, beloved. Drunkenness is evil. Not drinking. Drunkenness, according to the word of God. It is sin. What does the world call drunkenness? A good time. Think about, especially if you used to live in that world, think about how your friends would talk to you. Hey, man, you going to have a good time tonight? What did that mean? Yeah, there's other terms for it, but I won't share all of them because then the kids will be like, Mommy, what's that mean? But drunkenness, we can deal with drunkenness, right. So that's why I'm being careful. Do you know what I'm saying? Even the beer commercials or anything else, right? We're going to get to this in a second. Watch, you're going to see this, this, you know, do things your own way. This is so amazing, so amazing. But drunkenness, that idea, it's portrayed as, man, that's a good time. That's where it's at. So, you know, if that's your thinking, the Bible says, hold fast to what is good. I guess then partying it up, living it up, that's what's good. What the world often calls love and good, the Bible calls sin. And I won't say any more than that. But you understand what I'm saying? What the world calls love and good, the Bible calls it sin. The Bible says it's evil. You know, I'm an 80s child, so I listen to 80s music, still do occasionally, yeah, I still do, but I'm having a harder and harder time because I realized I never knew what it said, you know? When I was a kid growing up, I just liked the tone and the beat, but the more I listen to it, I'm like, oh my goodness, I listen to this stuff, and I I don't think I can do this. So Duran Duran was a popular group. We were talking about this earlier uh, today. They were a popular group, and I just heard this the other day uh, in a song, funny enough, uh, called Save a Prayer for Me. They're not a Christian band, beloved, okay? But uh, one of the lyrics is, uh, some people call it a one-night, I'm not going to say it, a one-night, you know what I'm talking about? But we can call it paradise. Huh? Huh? Now, I wouldn't call it a one-night, you know what I'm talking about. I'd call it fornication or adultery or, you know, sexual immorality, because that's what the Bible calls it. Uh, but see, the, see how that, that was back in the 80s. And people were like, oh my gosh, the world is falling apart. It was falling apart a long time ago, beloved. It was just maybe it was a little more discreet. I don't know, because we couldn't understand what they were saying. But it was there. That was the thinking. That was the mentality. It was certainly being practiced in the world. Yeah, yeah, the Bible calls it evil, but we'll call it a good time. We'll call it paradise. You wouldn't call paradise evil, would you? No, paradise is good. So just some examples. In direct connection with that, what I was just saying, we must keep being transformed. So we need to resist the world, but we need to keep being transformed or changed by the renewal of our minds through the ongoing reprogramming of our minds, huh? which happens as we continually read, study, memorize, meditate on, and embrace the Holy Scriptures, and the Holy Spirit, through the written Word of God, corrects our foolish and unbiblical thinking. Huh? 
Beloved, if you're in church long enough, you're going to find out it just keeps coming back to this, the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God, because that is the instrument that God uses through His Spirit that indwells you to transform you, to change you, to make you like His Son, Jesus Christ, to move you from unrighteousness onto the road of righteousness. That's it. Not some magic, if I just pray it down like that. It is the Word, and it takes work to get into the Word. Some people don't want to do that, so they want a magic pill. Give me some magic pill. Give me a holy hop, some prayer. I can just jump into my righteousness life. It doesn't work like that. So, beloved, let me say it like this. We must allow God, through his word, to define for us what is truly good or what is inherently right and worthy. Huh? Did you hear that? And not, and not, and not the sinful world around us. Amen. Thank you. I heard it over there, but I'm looking over here. Just That's it. That's what I'm looking for. I got it from my sister right here. I always do. That's what I'm looking for. Amen. Not this sinful world around us, which unfortunately, unfortunately, we are all prone to do, especially when we are not regularly washing our minds with the word. And I use washing because that's exactly what we need because our minds get dirty. And I don't mean that kind of dirty. I mean infiltrated, infected by this world. And sometimes it's because of our foolish decisions. Sometimes it's just because we're living in the world. We're not even aware of what's going on. It's just coming in. It's coming in. It's coming in. And then like fools, sometimes we invite it in. So here we go. Listen to me. As an example of this, of how we let our minds begin to think like the world thinks. Here is something the world would say. Life is all about doing whatever makes you happy. Have you heard that? That's everywhere. In one form or another. Life is all about doing whatever makes you happy. Or they'll say, hey, do more of whatever makes you happy. And I think Christians buy into this foolishness. There's nothing in that thinking or logic that says anything about God. See, because the biblical reasoning would go like this, life is all about doing whatever makes God happy. Do you see the difference? Now, I've told you this before. Here's the cool thing about God. We don't serve a, a tyrannical, angry, weird, torturous God. We serve a loving God, a good God, a just God. So it just so happens, it just so happens, beloved, that when we live our lives to make God happy, then and only then will we truly find happiness, true happiness, true peace, true joy, then and only then. Everything else is a lie, a perversion, a trick, Life is all about doing whatever makes God happy. Oh, and then they qualify it this way. Maybe you've heard this. Okay, as long as you're not hurting anyone, just do what makes you happy and forget the rest. Have you heard that? That, that particular line of reasoning or argument is put forth all the time. Hey, who are you to talk to me, Christian? I'm not hurting anyone. And as long as I'm not hurting anyone, then I should be able to do whatever I want to do, including whatever relationship I want to enter into or... huh? You know what I'm talking about? 
right? Okay. Did you consider what really matters is are you hurting God? Do you see the, you see the slight twist in thinking? Biblically, I would say, no, life is all about doing whatever makes God happy and making sure that you're not hurting God. God, that's the first priority. So what do I mean by that? Well, listen, if you're living your life in such a way that God is offended by it, you're not living your life as you should be as a Christian. If it hurts God, if it, if it brings him pain, your decisions, that should be your utmost thought, your utmost priority. And check it out. If you live a life that does not bring God pain, then you will not bring pain to others. You will not hurt others. See how it works? But I would argue that if you live a life just according to this dumb principle where God's not in view, where you say, well, as long as I'm not hurting anyone, I should be able to do what I want, you actually do hurt people. You hurt society. You hurt the world at large. You can't see it because you're focused on yourself, but ultimately it does because sin, sin, because that's usually what we're talking about, sin never sits right here. It looks to do damage across the board. It's like a grenade. A grenade never takes out one guy. It takes out him and everyone around him. That's sin. That's the world. How about this one? Just having fun here. Don't be afraid to show who you really are. Huh? Don't be afraid. Because as long as you're happy with yourself, here we go again. It's the same line of worldly thinking that Christians sometimes take into their own heart and mind. As long as you're happy with yourself, no one else's opinion matters. Huh? Is that? Now that's the world. Is that the Bible? So let's test that out. Okay, so the God's opinion, I guess, doesn't matter. Pastor's opinion doesn't matter. My parents' opinion doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, My brothers and sisters in Christ's opinion doesn't matter then. Because, hey, I'm happy with myself, so go get lost. Because ultimately, that's all that matters. You see, you see, and Christians can begin to adopt this nonsense. Listen, I've heard, I've heard Christian parents say this when their spouse, or they're not their spouse, their children are getting married, they'll say something like this at the wedding. You know, all I ever wanted for my daughter or for my son was for them to be happy. I'm just going to tell you, that's worldly thinking. What if their being happy is to be in a relationship that they shouldn't be in what if their being happy is living in sin you really you know we don't even think this stuff out my ultimate goal in life never has been at least when i started thinking rightly and never will be that my children be happy okay it won't be it will be listen now it doesn't mean i hope they have a miserable life no no that would be terrible my, my desire for my children has been, and it continues to be, that, that they would make the Lord happy with their lives. And I know that they would honor him with their lives. If they do that, I know that ultimately they will find peace. They will find joy, like joy the world can never give you. They will find satisfaction. The world promises it, never delivers. You with me? So, brothers and sisters, this is all still on hold fast to what is good, right? Okay, I'm still there. 
Let me ask you an important question in light of all that. In light of everything I said, how often do you read and study the Bible? Don't answer. Out loud. I want you to think right now. How often? Or let me say it this way. How many times in a given week do you come into serious contact with the Word? Not like, you know, that's not serious contact. You know what I'm saying? I move it from here on my bookshelf down to here because it's in the way of my other stuff. (laughs) That's not serious contact. That's not what I'm talking about. How often do you come into serious contact with the Word and allow your thinking to be changed and corrected by it so that you might rightly discern the good that you are to hold fast to or cling to? That's my question. That's my question for you this morning. Think it through. Remember what I said in the beginning? If you're getting pinged or hit, don't despair. Confess. Confess sin to God. Go to God. Ask him for help. Trust in the Holy Spirit to live according to his word. Beloved, listen, while we cannot escape living in this world, we can't, let me say again, we must not let the world, the world take up residence within us. We must not. We must serve it in eviction notice, beloved. Not a three-day, an immediate one. Some of you know what I'm talking about, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, yeah, I know that three-day. I didn't like that either. That was too soon. But no, I'm saying sooner. But don't wait for the sheriff to show up. Get it out now. You got the sheriff dwelling inside of you. (laughs) I'm in a mood today. I'm going to tell you that right now. We must rather let the word of God dwell richly within us. That's what we must do. Evict the world's thinking. And beloved, we all, and I'm not saying like you do this once. Okay, I've done it. I'm done, Jeremy. Now I move on with my Christian home, my friends. You're going to have to keep doing it. Because you, like me, we live in this world, right? Now once God takes you out of it, either by his return or the rapture, then we'll be good. We will be good. We won't have to pursue this kind of thinking or this kind of practice anymore. But as long as we live in this fallen place, and we keep getting exposed to the world, we're going to have to keep doing this. Evict that and let the word of God dwell richly within you. And you can't do that if the word of God is on your counter or your shelf or it's on your phone, but you never look at it because you're always looking at Facebook or Twitter or everything else but that or playing your dumb games. Yes, I said dumb. I did. It's my thing. It's my thing. I mean, I'm just thinking of all the time I see. Think about this. An incredible invention. Wow. You could have the word of God, and people, everyone has a phone now. Now they're doing this everywhere they go. Everywhere they go, they're on their phone. Dinner, walking, driving, it doesn't matter. They're on their phone. Just imagine if all of that time, how about 50% of that time was actually given to a reading of the word? Do you know how many Bible apps there are? Thousands. And Bible study apps? It's not like you don't have the tools. But if that's not your thing, there's still this baby. I like it like this. I like paper. I'm from old school. I like touching it. (sighs) Smelling it. That's just me, I know. I'm outdated, but... And you're going to do that, beloved. You're going to dwell 
On God's word, you're going to let it dwell richly in you so that you might know and hold fast to that which is truly good or right. Do you get me? you get me? You can't, you can't do this unless you know what is good. And you're constantly being told what is good, but it's a lie. So I need to find out what truly is good from the word of God. Then I may hold fast onto it. Second, I want to point out this concerning this, hold fast to what is good. The Christian is not simply to abhor and avoid that which is evil. Not just that, but in connection to that, as I said earlier, Paul exhorts us to hold fast to or to cling to that which is good. So you go, okay, Captain Obvious, thank you for that. But I'm, gonna, I'm saying that to draw your attention to the fact that the Christian life does not only involve hating evil and abstaining from it. It's not just that. And from that, you know, so, okay, that's not good. That's not right. That's evil. I'm, I'm not doing that. It's not just about that. So, for instance, I'm not, I don't, lying's not good, right? That's evil. And cheating, yeah, huh? And stealing and, and using foul language. Okay, so, yes, avoid, be horrified by, run from, do not participate in. But the Christian life is also very much about fully embracing and doing that which is truly good or morally upright in God's sight. It's both, beloved. It's both. Think for a moment, if you were here, about Thomas's sermon from last week. I love that, brother. If you haven't heard it, it was good. It was good. It was interesting. It was good. Certainly, we couldn't have done that today with the kids in here, but <laughs> Proverbs 5, Proverbs 5, just real quick, there's two parts to Proverbs 5. The first part was a warning against adultery, okay? Evil, huh? Is adultery evil? Amen. How do we know that? The Word of God tells us so. It's not right. It's not right. It is evil. That's the first part. But that's not the only part. The second part is this instruction to rejoice in your wife. That's the good. That's the morally upright. That's the worthy part. And I'm quoting Thomas now. He said like this. It's this. He put them both together. Flee from the charms of the adulterer. That's the evil. Abhor it. Hate it exceedingly. But it doesn't stop there. And run into the arms of your spouse, and glue yourself to her. Huh? Now you say, okay, that's fine. I get it, I I think. I I just want to point out because it's both. It's not just I'm living the Christian life because I'm, I'm avoiding the evil things. It's not just that. It's embracing the good, clinging to the good. So let me give you a better example maybe or one that's more practical to everyone. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, page 978 in those blue Bibles. Just a few uh, books to the right of Romans. And uh, verse 17. I'm going to make some comments here. We'll kind of move through it. Beginning in verse 17, Paul says this. Just listen. I'm giving you an example of 
of abhorring what is evil and holding fast to what is good. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, Christian, in the futility of their minds, in the foolishness of their minds, minds that have been saturated with the world, beloved. I'm adding all this, okay? They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Here it is. To put off your old self, that evil self, put it away, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds by the word of God, beloved, and to put on the new self. So we have a putting off the old, putting on the new. Now he describes it, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, all right? So falsehood, deceit in any form would come under the category of falsehood. Cheating, cheating on a test is falsehood. Cheating on your taxes is falsehood, all right? Putting that away, that's the evil, beloved. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. That's the good. That's the good. So let me ask you a question. Listen, because it's not just enough to avoid falsehood or to abhor lying or cheaters. It's not just enough. But on this other side, are you clinging fast to, are you holding fast to the truth? Are you striving as Christians to be entirely sincere and honest when you communicate with one another. That's just one application. Are you? Well, I didn't lie. I didn't ask that. I didn't ask that. You are called to hold fast to the truth, to cling to the truth, because you're called to hold fast to or cling to what is good. So are you striving to do that in all of your communication? with your spouse, with your children, with your co-workers, with one another in the church. Let's keep reading. He says, for we are members one of another. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Watch, let the thief, he's speaking to Christians, let the thief no longer steal. Is stealing evil? It is. It's sin. It's not good. It's not right. But it's not just that that Paul commands the Christians in Ephesus to do. It's not just stop stealing, but rather let him labor, let him work, doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. There's the good. 
there's the good. So the Christian life, the Christian, and think about the good. Think about what it is. It's not just so that he may have enough to provide for himself or herself so he doesn't have to steal anymore. It's not that. But remember, all these things are, are in the sphere of love. So love for one another. Okay, I'm not just going to work hard enough so I have something for me so I can provide for myself so I don't have to think about or be tempted towards taking from others. But I'm going to work hard enough and put, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to put something away so that I might be able to share, help those in need around me. Huh? That's the good. Are you holding fast to that? So you, you haven't really done it if all you don't do is not steal. Do you get what I'm saying? Now, I'm trying to show you there's always two. It's a put off and a put on. Are you holding fast to the good? Yes, abhor what is evil. Yes, we have enough trouble just right there. But it's also cling, baby, cling, glue yourself to what is good. And you'll know what is good as you take in the word of God. All right, let's keep reading. Let no, verse 29, corrupting uh, talk, no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Uh, the, so that's not good, corrupting talk, right? The NIV translates it this way. Don't let any evil talk come out of your mouth. It just uses that word, evil talk. You, you know what he's talking about. So any kind of evil, perverse, foul speech, don't let it come out of your mouth. Now listen, that's evil. Abhor what is evil. You see it coming out of your mouth? You see it? Hate it. Hate it exceedingly. Run from it. Repent of it. Call it what it is. Don't rejoice in it. Don't laugh at it. Don't feel cool with it. Don't be comfortable about it. Hate it. Choose. Make that decision. It is evil. Call it what it is. But is that all? No, it's not all. Paul goes on. But only, what's to come out of your mouth? Such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. One writer commenting on that says, the Christian speech should be instructive, encouraging, uplifting. The Christian speech should be instructive, encouraging, uplifting. So here's all I'm saying. Let's just say, you know, I've heard Christians say, you know, I used to uh, curse quite a bit. And so I'm, I'm happy that I've broken that. Uh, sometimes I might still stumble, but... As a way of life, that is not what comes out of my mouth. Foul communication such as that, that the world embraces and loves and uses all throughout their speech, huh? Right? That's good, beloved. That's good. That's abhorring what is evil, absolutely. Is that where it ends, though? That is not where it ends. So now I would say, okay, but do you use that tongue and those vocal cords? Do you use that mouth to... Be instructive, encouraging, and uplifting. Are you using it to build up? Are you giving grace to those who hear? That's what it would mean to cling to or hold fast to what is good. That's the good part. That's the part you need to pursue. So it's not enough. It's not enough to just stop cursing, as an example. You with me? One more here. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all, listen, bitterness, evil, and wrath, evil, and anger, evil, and clamor, and slander, all evil, let it all be put away from you, right? Let it all be put away from you along with all malice. All of that under the category umbrella of evil. Abhor what is evil. Hate it exceedingly. Verse 32. 
be kind to one another, tender-hearted or compassionate, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You want to cling to what is good? There it is. You want to hold fast to what is good, beloved? You want to know what is good, what is morally upright, what is inherently worthy? It's right there in verse 32. Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another. And where do so many people have a problem? Right there, that forgiving one another. Huh? Hello, hello. So like, look, look, Jeremy, I'm, I'm, I've put away wrath and I'm not slandering. Fantastic, that's awesome. You've, you're pouring what is evil right on. But are you forgiving? Why are you withholding forgiveness? Are you being kind-hearted? Are you being tender to the body of Christ? Are you doing that? That's the good you must pursue, sister or brother. That's the good you want to cling to and hold fast to. Huh? I'm just trying to make it real because, you know, we can read through and go, yeah, whore what is evil and cling to what is good. La, la, and just go on. But we got to think that through. What does that really mean? What does that really look like? And I'm telling you, this is what it looks like. Here's another one. You don't have to read it. It's just in the next chapter of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. You know this, probably you've heard it. Paul says there, do not be drunk with wine. Huh? Do not be drunk with wine. That is a sin. Do not become intoxicated with alcohol, liquor. Do not. So maybe you abhor what is evil. So you go, oh, yeah, I won't do that. I don't do that. Okay. Right after that, he says, but, you guys know it? Be filled with the Spirit which means to be controlled by the Spirit of God. Let the Spirit of God rule and reign over you in your life. That's the good. That's the holding fast part. Hold fast to that. So it's not just enough that, okay, you don't get drunk. Great, that's good. Okay, that is good because you're abhorring what is evil. Now, be filled with the Spirit. Be dominated. May your life be dominated and controlled by the Spirit of God. Let me say something to you that doesn't happen with magic. It happens as you take your eyes to this word and read it prayerfully and ask God to transform your mind and your heart and your life. And then, and only then, will your life be filled or controlled or directed or guided by the Spirit of God. It's through the Word of God. See how much there is whole fast to what is good? Isn't that neat? I think it is. All right. I got three, at least three of you, and, and so my job is done. I accomplished it. I was, I, my goal was two. I hit three. I've exceeded my expectations. Thank you, Lord. Um, and check this out. I had another point, but we're not going to do it. We'll save it for next week, because the, the next one is awesome. It, they're all great. They're all great. Love one another with brotherly affection. Right? Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And next week, and, and we'll probably get through a few of them next week, love one another with brotherly affection. Let's pray, beloved. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. Oh, I think it is a treasure. Father, I must confess, though, we too often treat it as, as anything but a treasure. A burden. A duty. Obligation. That thing the good book. Father, it is you. It is your very word to us. It is a collection, as some have said, 
your love letters to us. It is, it is instruction for us on how we are to live. It is life. It is righteousness. It is holiness recorded for us in the written word. It's there. Father, might we embrace it. It is there. It is there that we find what is truly good, what is inherently right and worthy what we should be giving our lives, our hearts, our minds to. Father, we confess all too often we've given our hearts and our minds to this world and the disasters that reaps in our life, Father. Many of us know it all too well. Lord, even now, even now, may you reveal those things to us, this thinking that is that is wrong. It's ungodly. It's, it's the opposite of Christ's likeness. And may we not continue to indulge in it or embrace it or repeat it or rehearse it or even promote it to those around us and, and cause them to dive even head longer into the way the world thinks. But may we reject it. May we turn from it. May we evict it. And may we dive headlong into the word of God. May we come into serious contact with it reading it, studying it, meditating it on a regular basis and praying for the Spirit's help that we might believe it, embrace it, and live according to it, that we might think the way you think, God, which has been revealed to us, not in the clouds, not in the sky, not in some mystical experience, but in the Word of God. We have it right now, right here, in your word, Father, we know how you think and how we ought to think as your children. May we embrace it. It is there that we will find what is good and thereby be able to comply with this exhortation by Paul, this command, this rule for our lives. Hold fast, beloved. Hold fast. Cling. Adhere yourself to what is good and not to this evil world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.